It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. It might be the international break, but the action doesn't stop here on Football Social Daily. We are the only Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. Hit subscribe now and you'll never miss a show. This is The Dugout, a new Saturday show discussing all the big Premier League talking points with people who have been there and done it. On today's show, we'll take a look at the Three Lions upcoming game with Andorra. It should be easy enough for England. Gareth Southgate expected to make changes though. And will we see Patrick Bamford given his first England cap? We'll also discuss the phenomenon that is Cristiano Ronaldo and the Premier League's decision to allow him to wear the number seven shirt. Are shirt numbers really that important to players? We'll find out direct. Plus, three games into the top flight campaign, who's been catching our eye so far and who may have choppy waters ahead? I'm Niall McCorn and all of that to come on today's show. And in the dugout today, a very warm welcome to former Brighton, Leicester and Southampton man, Dean Hammond. How's things, Dean? I'm very well, very well, Niall. Thank you very much. Good to have you with us. And we're also joined by ex-Burnley, Everton and England midfielder, Trevor Stephen. Good to have you with us as well. Trev, how are you? I'm good, Niall. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me along. No worries. Really looking forward to today's show. Plenty to get through. But before we start, I just wanted to ask how you've both enjoyed the start of the Premier League season so far. We'll start with you, Dean. It's been a bit of a mixed bag for your old sides so far. How have you enjoyed it? Yeah, it's been it's been a good start. Obviously, having the Premier League back is is good, and uh, with with Brighton and, and Southampton and uh, Leicester former clubs been um, quite a good start. You know, Brighton have been improved. I think I think they're a bit they're better in front of goal, still creating chances, and and two wins out of, of three has been good. And and with Leicester, a little bit indifferent, a um, little bit of a potential hangover, maybe. Uh, from not getting into the Champions League, but also uh, winning the FA Cup, winning the Charity Shield. So, you know, two wins for them as well. And, and Southampton are Southampton. You know, they're a good team. They really, really are. They play some good stuff, but um, they just can see goals, really. Um, but they've got two points. And I think the point at Newcastle was was very, very important for them. And 
I'm interested to see how they do this season because I can't quite work it out with them, I must admit. Yeah, they didn't get beat by nine against Manchester United, which is always a positive. And that late goal against Newcastle definitely did them some favours. How about you, Trevor? Some really interesting debates around Rafa Benitez's arrival at one of your old clubs, Everton. How do you think he's done so far? I think he's done great, to be honest with you. I mean, what a, it was a brave step to take, you know, for him to um, take on the role, take on the job. I actually thought, though, to be honest with you, uh, that he was the best man for the job, you know, of all the candidates that were available. Um, he seemed to just tick all the boxes. Of course, the one negative, if you're an Evertonian, is that he comes with, you know, the baggage of being an ex-Liverpool man. So um, if you put that aside, I think he was well suited for the job, particularly as well because he's lived on Merseyside for such a long time and he has been away from Liverpool a long time you know, as a, the football club. Mm. So, yeah, I think he's done great. I think he has um, bought extremely well uh, in the sense of Everton's strategy is just to make some steps of improvement, uh, some consistency. I think uh, they haven't spent very much, which is great. They've had uh, Damari Gray come in and make an impact. Um, Solomon Rondon, uh, Benitez knows him and trusts him from uh, Japan. Uh, had him at Newcastle as well, and um, Andros Townsend is a seasoned Premier League, uh, you know, performer. So there's been that addition of of new blood, and I think every club needs it. Uh, I'm not sure if the Everton fans are, are are thrilled with it, and and you know, as it as it sort of stopped in the end, it didn't get um, Maitland Niles, for instance, and uh, one or two others didn't sign up. But I think it's good. I think it's really good. I think um, there's a positivity about Everton now. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Rafa could really have got off to much of a better start. And you could say the same about England at the start of this international break. They saw off Hungary pretty convincingly by four goals to nil on Thursday night. Now we're going to look ahead to the game against Andorra, which is the second in the group of three games that they've got in this international window. They've got Poland after this, but Andorra is the next game off the list. Considering the atmosphere and the environment in Hungary, Dean, were you impressed with how England performed in that game? Because it was a very professional performance, four goals to nil, probably could have been more, but they did what they had to do and got the job done. Yeah, I thought it was a, a, a great performance, really, especially second half. Uh, first half, very, very patient, um, kind of just working out Hungary. Uh, Hungary were, you know, defended very, very well first half. Um, England, but like I say, the build up play was pretty good, but no real win product or no creativity. Um, but I thought they showed a really good mentality and a real uh, professional approach second half. You know, they they stepped it up a little bit and, and showed their, their real quality into in that atmosphere to the way they played out, the way they didn't react, the way they, they just concentrated on getting the result uh, for themselves as a team and, and for the country was was very, very impressive. And, you know, Jack Greedish was, was good again. Mason Mount was, was superb and... You know, Harry Kane got another goal, could have had three or four, which is, you know, probably the only surprising factor that one-on-one -on -one chances he had, you'd really expect him, him to score. So even though it was a 4 nil result, it could have been six or seven. It really, really could have done. But I just enjoyed the way they played. Um, you know, the build-up play, like I say, very possession-based. Hungary did sit off. They weren't much of a threat, um, but you still have to break them down. And um, The goals they scored were, were very, very good. You know, one-touch football got into good areas and, and the pace they attack with, I think they would cause many teams, many international teams problems. So impressive. Um, and I really like the group. They're building, they're learning all the time. And it's a young group that I think will improve. And it just 
you know, put a marker down in the group that they're, they're a serious, serious contender for the, for the World Cup. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I thought Sterling was really good as well in his contributions. He scored one, set up one, um, looked really lively down the right. Wasn't really bothered by um, any of the sort of abuse he was getting, which was horrible to see. And unfortunately, it's kind of reared its ugly head again. But uh, job done, as you say, for Gareth Southgate's side. And Dora next up, much weaker opposition than Hungary. Of course, Hungary had the group of death in the Euros and acquitted themselves really well against France, Germany and Portugal, despite the fact they finished bottom of the group. No doubt that they're a tougher opponent than Andorra will be, Trevor. So we could possibly see Southgate make 11 changes for this game. That was what was being hinted at after the fixture. So if that is the case, are there any particular players that you'd like to see given a chance for England? You know, I'm going to the game actually uh, on Sunday. I'm looking forward to um, you know watching England again uh, develop as a as a team, um, as a group, and as you, as you say, there's a possibility here for Gareth Southgate to make uh, several changes. I think Patrick Bamford, you know, has has been the last two seasons, you know, going to Leeds United. Um, Bielsa has been the making of Patrick Bamford, to be quite honest with you. Uh, he, he's listen to Patrick's listen to his manager uh, does what he's told you know really um, but he is not uh, restricted in, in, in his qualities uh, Bamford I think it's a great opportunity for him I'm not quite sure if he'll start though I, I, Harry Kane's got his sights on you know goal records and I'm not quite sure if Bamford will start I think he may get on if England go uh, well go early then Bamford might get on at half time but he certainly deserves it. You know, he didn't let his head get down. You know, he didn't go to the, uh, the Euros. There was a good chance that he could go. Um, but, you know, getting that number nine shirt for, for England is tough when you've got someone like Harry Kane there, uh, who is, for me, the best all-round striker in the world currently. I know some, some great talents out there, but as an all-round footballer, um, Harry Kane ticks all the boxes for me. But I would like to see Bamford get a run out. Uh, uh, for sure. I would like to see Jude Bellingham get a, um, a good run as well. Uh, and I think this is the kind of game that uh, Gareth Southgate can utilise that squad. Quality of the squad is is better than it's ever been for England. Um, you can shuffle that pack and you're going to get a really good team performance. And I expect exactly that um, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, England, as you say, could shuffle the pack and still field a, an 11, which will give most European teams a run for their money in any sort of game so I definitely think it's a great point you make and also about Harry Kane you know he's not just one of the best nines in the world he's also the England captain so with that in mind Dean if you are someone like Patrick Bamford or Dominic Calvert-Lewin what's the mentality like knowing that the person who's ahead of you in the pecking order is the captain and one of the best in the world is it just a a case of when you get a chance if Patrick Bamford does this weekend just trying to perform as best as you can and trying to take that I think it has to be no. I think there has to be an understanding that, like, like Trevor mentioned, Harry Kane is, if not one of the best strikers in the world. He's also captain of the team. Uh, he's influential. He has such an impact on the game that if you're coming into the group, you're coming into the squad, that if you do get an opportunity off the bench, um, that you take it, that you can maybe have an effect on the team. Uh, if you can score some goals, I think it'd be very, very difficult to dislodge Harry Kane from that starting position because he is the captain and he's such a brilliant player um, and he's in his prime of his career and he always scores goals, always creates chances. So just come into the squad and, and, and put yourself in the thinking of Gareth Southgate that you know if it's nil-nil, if Harry Kane is not performing or he needs to change formation and go two up front, that can you be the next option that's going to come on and, and help the team? And 
I think Patrick Bamford has deserved that opportunity. What did he score? 17 goals last season. Um, probably some assists there as well. Um, and he's, he's mobile. Uh, he scores different goals. And he's, he is a number nine. I don't think there's many natural number nines in the game now, especially English players. You could probably mention Danny Ings in that conversation as well. Um, so Patrick Bamford is a, is a very good option. Uh, but when you're coming into the squad, I think it is understanding that you're going to play second fiddle to, to Harry Kane and just be aware of that. It's not a bad crop of strikers that England have got to pick from. You know, the, the likes of Kane and then DCL, Bamford, Watkins. You mentioned Ings as well. It's a pretty good group they've got of forward players. So it's exciting for the future. There's no doubt about that. And that doesn't even include the young lads like Mason Greenwood, who I think could have a really good career in the Premier League. Obviously, these games are qualifiers for the 2022 World Cup, which is going to take place in December next year in Qatar in the Middle East. And obviously the World Cup has been moved from the summer to the winter to deal with the extreme heat that they get over there in the Middle East. I know what you footballers are like and how much you love your routines, Trevor. So what's that going to be like, do you think, from a player's perspective, that the World Cup has been moved from the summer to the winter? Do you think that will cause havoc with the way things are scheduled and stuff in this country? First first and foremost, it had to go to to winter. Um, You know, when Qatar got that, uh, you know, were awarded the, the World Cup, the staging of it. Um, it is just ridiculously hot. I've lived in the Middle East for 10 years and I've worked in Qatar for the last seven years, uh, you know, working on, on football um, with being sports. So I know it extremely well. Um, in summer, it's just unbearable. The players couldn't play. It would be dangerous, in fact, not only for the players, but for any spectators. So the time of year that it is, the weather's perfect. It's absolutely perfect for, for football. It's, it's, it's warm. It's, um, in the evenings, it can be quite, quite chilly, but no more than that. And uh, the World Cup itself should, should be amazing because um, all these uh, stadia are literally within about 20 miles of each other. Um, so they've got brand new stadia. They're thoroughly prepared and, and ready to go. How does it affect the, the Premier League, no doubt it's going to affect the Premier League. Um, it's going to be interesting, though, because there's always that argument at the end of a season when the European Championships are played and uh, the World Cups are, pay, uh, are played, that players have got fatigue. Uh, they're carrying injuries. They are perhaps not at their, at their sharpest and best. Being in November, December, there's no excuse for that argument anymore. I mean, this is going to be... Um, a superbly contested uh, World Cup finals. Uh, the Premier League have to have to work it out, and as do other football nations, how they run their domestic uh, leagues. But it's it's the same for for the majority. So it'll it'll happen. It'll it'll come and go. I suspect that you know for that month the Premier League will be suspended. Um, but remember, those players will be away for a lot more than. Uh, the, the four weeks it'll be away. They'll be away for at least six to seven weeks. So that's a big chunk of time. We'll have to see how they how they do the maths on the fixtures. Uh, but they always seem to find a way. And um, we, we tend to get through the seasons. You know when there's been problems uh, before. You know COVID, for example. Uh, we carried on. We got there. Um, so I expect it to be the same. But it's going to be a brilliant World Cup. Believe me, it's it's going to be different. It's going to be unusual. Uh, the time difference is about plus three hours from the UK, uh, so it will be, you know, be ideal for us to to watch games. It won't be difficult, so I'm looking forward to it. And it's everybody's talking about 
this England squad, can they go and win it? I think there's a great possibility that they're going to be up there uh, at least to the semi-finals. I think we expect that now, don't we, of, of uh, the England group, that they will get to semi-finals because the squad is so good. It'll be interested to see what the boozers look like at, for an 11 p.m. kickoff if England get to go the distance. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty yeah. of, they'll be pretty lively to say the least. Obviously, the Christmas period is one of the busiest periods of the Premier League calendar, Dean. So I think the World Cup final in 2022 is set to be on the 18th of December, which is normally when that crazy period of Christmas um, kicks in. And you'll know what it's like having to go into train on, on Christmas Day afternoon, you know, having to leave the kids at home and stuff. It's tough. And it's one of the things that professional footballers have to do that a lot of people from the outside looking in don't really get to see. It is. I mean, that, that like you say, that festive period is. There's a lot of games within that um, that that festive period. Um, you, you're playing probably every two or three days. Um, like you say, you have time away from, from the family. But that is that's part and parcel of being a professional footballer. You become used to that um, training on Christmas Day, uh, then staying in a hotel, and then playing the game the next day. Then playing every couple of days. Then the FA Cup comes in in early January as well. Um, so it's a tough schedule. It really is for for a player but like I said you do get used to it and that you're you're fully aware of that and it just becomes part of your routine like you mentioned before us footballers enjoy our routine we enjoy knowing what we're going to do and being told where to be at what time and what to wear and what to eat you know we fight against it but I think we actually quietly enjoy that as well so um, yeah you, you remove that temptation as well when you're with your family around Christmas time of probably not eating too much or drinking too much so look it's, it's good I, like, I used to enjoy playing in the Christmas period I really really did um, because I mean Trevor will tell you, you as a footballer you love playing games that's what you want to do training is part and parcel of it but if you're playing games in front of the fans and you're enjoying and especially when you're winning as well mm. it's, it's one of the best times of the year so yeah like, I never had a problem with it at all yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from, part and parcel of the game for sure. But fascinating to hear Trevor's insight um, from over in, in Qatar and what their perspectives are and what we should expect for the World Cup. And actually, it'll probably be upon us quicker than we realise. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily. Afterwards, we're going to be talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, who has taken back his number seven shirt at Manchester United. The Premier League gave the club special dispensation, but the shirt numbers really mean that much to former players. We'll find out next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. The Dugout. Premier League preview. Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the podcast. This is The Dugout from Football Social Daily, a brand new Saturday podcast, bringing you insight from people who have been there and done it, people who have played the game. Delighted to say for today's episode, Dean Hammond and Trevor Stephen are alongside me. And we're going to talk about shirt numbers now because Cristiano Ronaldo has made headlines once again for, well, I guess reclaiming his number seven shirt at Manchester United. It was the shirt that, he made iconic to himself, but it had already been worn by the likes of Beckham and Cantona before that at Old Trafford. Obviously, Daniel James has left Manchester United. He signed for Leeds. He had the number 21 shirt. Cavani had the seven. Now, Cavani shifted to the number 21, which is what he wears for Uruguay, which has freed up the number seven for Cristiano Ronaldo. Obviously, commercially and with all the shirt sales and stuff, this is going to be great for Manchester United in recouping funds. And it's, you know, great for the club. Uh, on, from a marketing point of view as well but I wanted to ask as former pros yourselves 
do shirt numbers really mean that much to you? I'll start with you, Dean, because you've played for a few different clubs and when you do make a move from one club to the other, how does it actually work? Are you able to pick the shirt number you want? Are you told by the agent, the manager? What's the process? Because it's uh, it's a bit of a strange one, which really seems to grab a lot of attention these days. Well, I think to start with, it depends on the player and the profile of the player. I probably never had that privilege to be able to demand a squad number or a number that I wanted. Um, but it probably comes to availability and when you sign for the club. So if you're signing in the summer, there could have been players that depart, so there'll be uh, squad numbers available that you can probably get a choice from of three or four or five um, numbers. Um, if you come in January, again, there'll be a limited amount because uh, they, you know, they might have to add a number to the, to the squad. Um, but I do know of players that have, have requested numbers or favour numbers, usually the more attacking players or, or the strikers that maybe want that iconic number nine or number seven, like you've mentioned about Cristiano Ronaldo. But no, not not myself. I mean, I've worn all different types of, of numbers from from 35 down to probably n- number four as well. Uh, I remember the time I signed for Sheffield United, actually, and there was two numbers available, number nine and number 35. And I just thought, I can't take the number nine because I'll be the lowest scoring number. <laughs> so I had to go for the number 35, which again, didn't sit too well with me because at the other end of the scale, the of the squad numbers, but look, at the end of the day, it's it's just a number, um, and it doesn't mean too much in my eyes. But I um, mean, Trevor might say different to some players. It, it does mean a lot, um, and it could really change the mentality of a player that if they don't have that number, and it could have all different meanings to it. But yeah, personally, I I probably never had that luxury, and usually just went for one that associate my position put it that way think of the possibilities though dean you could have had the dh9 brand you could have had your own perfume range and all of that stuff not sure that would have taken off to be <laughs> what about you then trevor obviously it's almost unrecognizable this shirt culture from uh, from when you were playing so what's your take on this whole situation yeah. are players of your era less bothered so to speak about the shirt numbers or was it still a big thing back then no, no it was just different no it was it was different because uh, back in the day, it was one to eleven, uh, so uh, numbers were even associated directly with positions on the field. Yeah. Okay. So um, you can't compare the modern the modern day game uh, w- with those days. I mean, we we wouldn't even be allowed to swap a shirt back in uh, the old days. The kit man be uh, on you. <laughs> yeah, the kit man would be right in amongst your your bag if you try to take something that you know he, he's already uh, accounting for. So. Uh, so there, there was none of that. Uh, I was uh, I started as a number eight when I was at Burnley because uh, I was playing central midfield. But when I went to Everton, I was still quite young, 19. Um, uh, the number seven was mine. So that was right right midfield. It is where you think it would be, you know, number seven, or wide on the right. Uh, so I sort of had that for seven years uh, and, and rarely played a game that I wasn't wearing the number seven. Uh, so... Um, yeah, I kind of identified myself a bit with the number. Uh, I wore it as well when I went to to Rangers. Uh, I wore it sometimes playing for England, but rarely. Uh, Brian Robson was the the holder of the number seven shirt when I first started playing. Um, but when I went to Marseille, I just took anything they would give me. I was so thrilled to be there. Right, so I ended up uh, 
playing number six. And I was never a number six, <laughs> you know, which is like a holding midfield player. I mean, what's that all about? Um, <laughs> so the numbers weren't relevant there, but I do regard my, my lucky number as, as seven. And uh, I understand, of course, it was inevitable with Ronaldo that he has to be given that number seven because, as you rightly said, um, he's got a, a magnificent legacy already in that shirt and the monetary side, the merchandising, the, the brand um, uh, spread that, that, that will uh, add to Manchester United's coffers. So, yeah, numbers, numbers not that important, but personally, I, I like the number seven and it would be my preference. I'm glad you've said that because actually I think it lends itself to a deeper conversation which we had on yesterday's podcast about what shirt numbers mean to fans and the club culturally. So, I mean, you know, in, in the northeast, Newcastle United, very famous number nine shirt, Jackie Milburn, Alan Shearer, etc., etc. Manchester United, another good example. Seven worn by Beckham, Best, Cantona, Cristiano Ronaldo. When you do sign for a club, Dean, I mean, how important is it that you understand the culture of the club? Because as we touched upon on yesterday's show, I mean, Angel Di Maria has kind of been speaking down about the seven shirt and it's been met with a fair bit of criticism from United fans because so many legendary players have worn that shirt. So actually, when you do put pen to paper on a contract at a new club, is it important you do immerse yourself in in the culture and some of the smaller, finer details that actually probably mean more to fans than people realise? 100%, I think, yeah. The culture of the football club and, and what it means to the players and the fans is is very, very important. So understanding that as a player, I think, can really, really help you in terms of building a relationship with the fans because uh, I think that's important. As a player, really, you may not want to admit it, but you all want to be accepted. You want to want to be welcomed and it helps your performance and you don't want to get off on the wrong foot and kind of act against the tradition of a football club. So whether it's a, a squad number, whether it's the, the way you play, whether it's the way you conduct yourself, um, all different things are, are very, very important. And I think that's, that's really, really important when you've got players that have come through the academies, uh, clubs, or have been at clubs for a long period of time. When a new player comes in, they can help introduce that. They can help explain that. And I think that's how you build a culture at a football club or within a dressing room. There's a respect towards towards the club that you're playing for. You know, they're paying your wages. Um, you're there to, to help them. To, you're there to improve as a player. So I think it all combines well, and it's it's very, very important. And it can it can get lost in this day and age. And that's, I don't think, always think that's on purpose. That could be players from different cultures coming in, from different countries, and just not quite understanding it. So it's very important to, to communicate um, those values. And, you know, any successful club um, are successful because they're together on and off the pitch and there's a real understanding. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's, a, it's an excellent uh, comment you make there and actually Trevor you'd know better than most having gone over to Marseille and played you know in a different country other than England was that something you had to experience obviously going over to the south of France and, and sort of finding somewhere to live and all of the sort of smaller finer details yeah I'm mean, going abroad was something I always wanted, wanted to do but you know in, in all honesty I was already 27 I was well into my football career so I, I was pretty worldly on what would be expected of me and um, I, I was aware of what Marseille was as a football club. They had brilliant footballers. You know, Chris Waddle was there. Uh, Papin, Didier Deschamps was playing. Um, it was. I knew what I was walking into there. But what, what my mind goes back to 
when um, you know if you think every club has got a, a way of playing you know you used to talk about the West Ham way or um, you know or the Liverpool way or Man United play this way and and Dean was right when players come in particularly from abroad they've got to they've got to get onto that rhythm of understanding what the, the bigger picture is with that football club I, I remember when I went to Everton uh, at 19 coming away from from Burnley and Howard Kendall was the manager and the first game that I played, uh, which was home against Stoke City, and he said, he, he didn't give me any advice. He just gave me some words in my ear. He said, don't worry about anything. Just make sure you win your first tackle. All right? Put, get your foot in. Get your foot in because they'll love you. They'll love you if you win your tackle. And it doesn't matter if you miscontrol it. If you miscontrol it, go and win the ball, and they will love it for you winning it back. So you, you start to get, that's what they want. They want. 100% commitment, you know, and, and be prepared to go and do that. So you learn very, very quickly and you have to learn quickly. Uh, and, and Howard Kendall's words to me are something that, you know, I, I never forgot. You know, make sure that you're competitive and, and the fans will love you no matter what. And, you know, they love a trier. Every football fan loves a trier. It's funny, isn't it? The small, even small bits of advice that you picked up as a 19-year-old, you carried that all the way through. Um, and, you know, we've seen it probably more now this season already in the first three games with fans back in the grounds that, you know, chasing back and winning a tackle or a nice piece of control. I mean, that gets the crowd up, gets the fans off of their seats. And that's uh, that's exactly what, what football fans love. Um, just finally, then, on Cristiano Ronaldo, and we'll leave the shirt numbers to one side. I mean, a huge signing. I mean, the fact that the Premier League have effectively changed their rules to allow him to wear number seven says it all, really, for me. How big of an impact do you think he could have, Dean? Because obviously he's 36. Some people are saying he's over the hill. I think he proved for uh, against the Republic of Ireland for Portugal the other night that he's far from that. Um, it's exciting, to say the least. How do you think he'll fare? I think he'll be brilliant. I, I really, really do. I mean, a surprising stat. He was the leading goal scorer in Serie A last, last, last season. You know, and, and Chelsea signed Lukaku and played, what, nearly 100 million for him. So, but Ronaldo is Ronaldo. Um, I think the way he conducts himself, how professional he is, it's not only going to benefit the team for now, it will benefit the team for the future. You, you think of, of Greenwood now working with Ronaldo on a day-to-day -day basis, seeing how he conducts himself around the training ground, see how he keeps himself fit be able to have those conversations with, with Ronaldo over the, the, the dinner hall and um, the extra training he does. I think that, again, will be a huge plus. And Greenwood, I agree with what Trevor said. I think he's going to be a superb talent. I really, really, I do. And, you know, I think he's got so much to bring. He'll play centrally. I don't think he's that player now that will play wide and he'll be taking players on. Um, but, you know, he doesn't need two free chances. You get him one chance, he's probably going to score. So, um, he, I think he'll have a huge impact and whether he can take them to a title that will be interesting to see um, I'm sure it'd be interesting to see how um, Solskjaer manages him because I can imagine Ronaldo wanting to play every game FA Cup, uh, League Cup Champions League, Premier League but he is 36 so will he try and you know manage that will Cristiano like that I'm not sure so that will be interesting um, but I think we'll see some fantastic goals from him. I think Manchester United will challenge. Whether they will get the silverware, I'm not too sure because the other teams are very, very strong as well. But I think it's a, from a commercial point of view, from a football point of view, I think it's a brilliant bit of business for Manchester United. 
I've just got visions now, Dean, of uh, Ronaldo away at Barrow or something in the third round of the FA Cup. Can you imagine that? Yeah, it would be great fun, wouldn't it? Um, What about you, Trev? How do you see his arrival at Old Trafford? Because, you know, I wouldn't say it came out of the blue because ever since he left Old Trafford, he's constantly linked with a move back. But the fact it came so late in the window amidst Man City's interest as well, it almost feels like the perfect storm in terms of that positivity boost for Manchester United. Uh, I agree with uh, what Dean's saying there. This guy is a, a phenomenon. He is, you know, along with uh, you know Messi, just on a different level. And I mean, like two or three levels above anybody else. It's just the fact that he can do what he's doing at 36 years old. We saw during the week his two goals, his two headers for uh, for Portugal. You know, in the last few minutes of the game, when a 36 year old should be feeling the pace a little bit, not actually being able to turn the game at that stage. So I'm looking forward to watching him. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't play well every game. You know, he, he has off matches. He, he doesn't affect some games. Uh, he can be a little bit lazy, you know, for the purest's eyes. But what, what he brings is excitement. He brings a level of um, desire uh, into uh, the game that I've rarely seen. Someone who is prepared to, to uh, do everything, not only for himself, but for, for the team. And you see his reaction, you know, for Portugal. He's at getting the fans together. Everything's about the team. So what I love about him is uh, he's far more vocal than a, than a Messi. We don't really hear him talking. But what I see from Ronaldo is a, a, a magnificent humbleness about himself. Uh, what he does on the field, he's a performer, he's an entertainer, and, and we see the, the goal celebrations. But I think his teammates love him. And there was only open arms for him to go to Manchester United. And all the players there know that that's probably one chance less that they've got in getting in, into the starting eleven because Ronaldo's there. But I think he brings an edge to the squad. I think they've bought very well, Sancho, Varane and, uh, and Ronaldo. Um, and I, he could be the missing part of the jigsaw for them. Uh, to win a trophy, I think, this year in the, in the Premier League, um, or to win the Premier League, it's going to be so difficult. I don't think I've been so excited about a Premier League at all. This, is, this for me, has got to be the best one ever. Fans are back. Uh, you know, Lukaku's back. Ronaldo's back. Um, all the clubs have been buying just that bit better quality. And it's exciting. Yeah, we'll talk about it in the next part of the show. But I live in Manchester and you should have seen the queue outside the Old Trafford Megastore this morning. Honestly, <laughs> it must have been about 500 people yeah. waiting to get in there to get their Ronaldo merchandise. Cristiano back at Manchester United. Trevor's excited for the new Premier League season. We are three games in and possibly four potential title contenders. We'll talk about who we think could go the distance next here on The Dugout on Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the show. I'm Niall, former Premier League players Dean Hammond and Trevor Stephen are alongside me and we're going to talk about the start to the new campaign. Fans back in the grounds after too long away due to the coronavirus pandemic. It is currently the international break and we've only played three games, but there's been some impressive performances and some not so impressive performances, as is often the case at these early stages of the season. So then after three games, Dean, who's impressed you the most? One of your old clubs, Brighton, have certainly 
caught the eye with the way they've started the campaign. Spurs are top of the league. How are you seeing things so far? How does the landscape look for you? I think it's going to be a really interesting Premier League. I really, really do. And, uh, you know, I've, I think Chelsea are very, very strong. I think they've started started well. Um, like you've mentioned, Brighton there have, have got two two results within three games, two wins, and also a home win as well. I think that's important for them because they, they just don't win many games at home. So that's been important for them. Um, and West Ham as well. I think it's important for West Ham um, to, 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 to have started well, and they really have. And I've been to watch them live. And the atmosphere at the stadium was, was fantastic. 60,000 fans against uh, Leicester when they won 4-1 were, were so impressive. And I think that you know, they could have another really productive and good good season. Whether they've got the strength and depth to attack it in all fronts with the cup competitions and, and being in Europe, um, but I think they could, you know, finish in the top six again. Whether they can push the top four, I'm not too sure. Um, but Spurs have started well. Um, and I think that's the interesting one. I think you have to give huge credit to the manager there. You know, what he's had to deal with, you know, there's question marks over his appointment to start with. Um, I don't think he was like obviously the first or second or even maybe the third choice to come in. Um, the Harry Kane situation, he's dealt with that brilliantly. Um, kept it all in house and just kept it private, which obviously I don't think happens too much in this, in modern day football. Um, and they've started the season with what three wins, um, three one nil wins. And, you know they've beaten the champions in Man City. Um, they've beaten Wolves, his old club, which is always always an emotional experience. And they've not conceded a goal. Um, so they've been. Very, very impressive and uh, it's going to be interesting. I think this one will be a challenge between three or four clubs this season, um, you know, with the, the majority of Chelsea, uh, Man City, Manchester United, um, Liverpool. Liverpool are an interesting one. I'm, I'm interested in them because they haven't made many signings and there's a few grumblings about that and a few question marks over that. But with the players that they've got coming back, you know, Van Dijk can he get back to the form, you know, probably the best defender in the world. Jordan Henderson's coming back. Uh, the front three are excited again, look hungry again. But I think there's the African Cup of Nations, so a couple of them will disappear for a period. So, mm. yeah, lots to play for this year. Yeah, I like what you say about Liverpool, and I agree. I think 1-11, to 11, they're as strong as any team in the Premier League. But, you know, is the question mark around Liverpool what they've got in reserve off the bench is the squad depth as good I like also what you say about Leicester I think if they can ride through this patch at the moment where I think they've got eight first team players out with injury the majority of them centre halves or at the back anyway uh, that's never easy in a Premier League where there are so many good attacking players I quite like as well that the thoughts on Tottenham because you know we talk about potential title contenders for this season Trevor and we keep talking about the both both of the Manchester clubs Chelsea and Liverpool but Tottenham are top at the moment and you know that they're probably not quite as good as the others that we mentioned but they've certainly got quality they've kept hold of Kane Son is a very good player and they've got a new hungry manager so you know maybe they could be the the outlier for this season who knows uh, could be obviously keeping Harry Kane uh, stabilises the club because it was in danger of you know, not sinking but being on, on really stormy uh, uh, conditions. So the fact that he's there is uh, a huge boost for them. And, and in all honesty, I think he's, he's happy to be there. Uh, he will be delighted with the start. And why not continue the run? You know, when you go on that momentum, you know, Dean knows what, what it's like. You know, you, you win a game, you want the next game to come around quickly because you want back-to-back, you want to win. And you know you start to put um, games together like Tottenham have done early in the season. You know that that will stick in their minds 
from now till the end of the season. They can, they can perform. And and Nuno has done a tremendous, a tremendous job. As Dean again said correctly, he wasn't the number one choice by a long margin um, for the Tottenham fans. And he had to try and deal with the Harry Kane issue. So it's been brilliant from them. I, I look at it, I look at the league and I'm thinking, God, there's, there's 10 teams literally. Um, well, you normally have an Arsenal up there in that 10, but you know what's going on at Arsenal? I mean, nobody really knows. It's just like a rudderless. It's a shambles. It's a rudderless, <laughs> rudderless yeah. ship, isn't it? And you don't know what you're going to get from them, but you certainly don't get 90 minutes football from them. You get bits and bits and bobs, and that's why they're in the position that they're in. But, you know, Everton will fancy themselves of being in the chance for the European place. Leicester, certainly. West Ham. Uh, again, West Ham have... I kind of expected the dip at the start of this season because they they achieved so much last, last year. And, you know, they, they haven't got um, Jesse Lingard, who, who was the, the impetus from January for their great run. And uh, um, David Moyes has done a brilliant job. You know, it's a funny old world, the management game, isn't it? Um, you know, David Moyes has, has been to several clubs. Sometimes he's successful, sometimes he's not. He seems to have found the right conditions to work uh, at, at West Ham. And that's not been the case for West Ham managers. But David, David Moyes fits the bill there. And uh, again, as, as Dean said, the stadium that they've got, at last they've got over, you know, uh, the old Upton Park, Bowling Road. Like, they've got over that and the fans have moved on and it's looking a very strong, strong club now. So... If you'd ask me who I think is going to win it, though, um, I said at the start, Chelsea, and that was before Lukaku. So I, I just think what uh, Tuchel's done between his appointment and now, you know, Champions League, you know, it's a cup competition. Uh, it's been proven in the past that they can be won by an outlier, as you might call, call it. But I just fancy them. I think he's got uh, great motivational skills. I think his players love him. Uh, they play for him. Uh, they've got some terrific players in every position. Every position they've got covered. Uh, and Lukaku's the icing on the cake. So I expect them to, to be up there. But as I said at the start, so excited. This could go any, any way. And I expect it to keep changing like a, like a uh, one-armed bandit. You know, these teams are just going to <laughs> keep sort of changing places you know, from one week to the next. But I think we're going to be spoiled this season and, and I can't wait. I hope so. And I think a lot of people are in agreement with you, Trevor, when you say Lukaku might just tip the scales in Chelsea's favour. Interestingly enough, we've mentioned the names of four managers on the show today. Rafa Benitez, Nuno Espirito Santo, Thomas Tuchel and David Moyes, all four of which, Dean, are up for the Premier League Manager of the Month award. So if you were in charge of handing out the gongs, who would you be giving it to as, uh, as Manager of the Month for August? I think they've all started fantastically, really, really well. And it's, it's a difficult choice, it really is, because you would expect Chelsea to be up there. You'd probably expect the results they've got. Um, but I think they're, they've been brilliant the way they've started, you know, from winning the Champions League um, to signing Lukaku. I just think it's a it's a really well-run football club now, and he's done very, very well. David Moores, we've mentioned, uh, and Benitez as well. You know, he's gone into Everton and, there's almost probably a lot of the fans probably wanting him to fail, to be honest. Um, but he's he's a brilliant manager. You know, he's been successful wherever he's, he's been. And there's a lot of pressure on him. You know, I watched the first game against Southampton and Southampton dominated the first half. You know, went in 1-0 up. Everton didn't really create a lot. And there was some negativity around the place at, at Goodison Park. And that's surprising with the fans being back. But, you know, 
did they get booed off? I think there was some hostility, you know, but they came out second half and scored within two or three minutes, won the game 3-1 and then had a brilliant game away at Leeds um, and then won at the weekend as well. So I would probably say Benitez um, just because of um, the negativity around his appointment and he's come in, been very professional, been himself um, and he's building the team. I like his signings, you know, Townsend. Damari Gray, you know, Damari Gray at Leicester is a talented boy and if they can get the best out of him, I think, what did they pay, £2 million for him? Something like that, It was it's ridiculous. Um, and they've got a good squad there. Um, so I think they'll be pushing up, you know, top six, maybe top eight and he started very, very well. So credit to him, I think he's, he started very, very well. You can say what you want about Rafa, Trevor, but as you've already touched upon, the man's got a thick skin. He knows how to deal with the flak and he also knows how to get the job done. So if Dean's going for Rafa Benitez, being a former Everton man yourself, would you be in the same camp? Are you going for Rafa? Uh, I, I have to, don't I, really? Because but, you know, <laughs> Dean summed it up you know, perfectly well there. My eyes immediately drawn to, to Nuno at Tottenham because of the three uh, back-to-back wins. Um, and there was kind of a low expectancy of Tottenham. But if you look at Rafa, Dean said it, the pressures that he was under um, were just incredible. Uh, and and he's, he's right again when he says that some fans want him to fail. And I always felt that he had to do well at the outset. Uh, and it's hard. The start of a season is hard. I played many seasons where we lost the first game. And, and then you get a draw in the second. And you're going in your third game trying to, get a, trying to get a win. And the confidence is pretty low. And you scrape a result. And then you get going. But Everton have got going. Um, the, the fans are, are silently or quietly chuffed to bits that they've got seven points and they don't want to give Rafa too much uh, respect for that, put it down to the players. Uh, Rafa will get it when they start losing games, of course. But um, yeah, I'd give it, to, give it to Rafa for the start he's made and it would absolutely uh, make... Uh, the day of Mashiri uh, and Bill Kenwright, I would imagine, uh, on the Everton board. Yeah, definitely silence a few critics if one of those big blocks of metal turn up at Goodison Park and end up being placed on a mantelpiece somewhere. Right, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. The first edition of The Dugout with Dean Hammond and Trevor Stephen. Thank you very much, gents, for joining me. Really appreciate your company. And hopefully when we next have you on, we'll have more exciting Premier League action to talk about. If you like the show and this is your first time listening, why not hit subscribe? That way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. We are the only show with a new episode every single day of the Premier League season. That is seven days a week, right throughout the top flight campaign. So get involved and hit subscribe. But that's it for today on The Dugout. And we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.